Investing insights with Right Property Group. Exploring trends in real estate. And helping property investors gain financial security. Hey there, everybody. Steve Waters and Victor Kumar back again for another Investing Insights recorded film version of the podcast, Vic. It is, it is. I just never know where it... Like, I get mixed up on what we're doing. I know that sounds really amateurish, and perhaps it is. But whether it's filmed, whether it's not, whether it's Facebook Live, whether it's one of the other podcasts, but I digress. But here we are. Uh, but with, here we are. With uh, information about property, um, uh, using our experience in the various markets we've seen, uh, and certainly taking into account uh, the immense changes that are happening in the property front at the moment. Well, do you know, it's, when you think about it, though, at the, from the beginning of this decade which is quite apt because we do the design a decade mm-hmm. thing as well. But from the beginning of this decade, there has not been any norm. No. Every single year there's been some Just level of every change. Every month it? Yeah. has yeah. been some <laughs> le- level of change. That's right. It's, um, and rather than sort of regurgitate all that because we all know what it is. Mm. Uh, but today, though, the changes of the most recent, I guess, couple of months, weeks, is all about interest rates. That's it. It's a new, new cycle. Rates. The finance cycle certainly has changed, hasn't it? It is. And now we've been talking about that for quite some time, but we'll get to that in a minute, I guess. And we, and I guess as we speak, we'll talk about how it's affected different parts of the market mm-hmm. as well. Um, more importantly, I guess what it's doing to the consumer mindset, because that flows on down to price. Yep. Uh, and maybe some of the propaganda pieces around it in and yeah. around it to uh, shape the consumer mm-hmm. uh, confidence levels um, but it has been interesting like we are definitely still feeling the effects and will for some time of COVID mm-hmm. uh, where we are seeing the effects of the Ukraine war throughout the world and obviously locally here in Australia uh, and that's not changing anytime soon as, as much as we'd love it to uh, just from from a human uh, aspect the economic aspect is also very, very bad. Um, and you can't compare the two, so don't take me out of context there. Uh, but what we're seeing is a worldwide ecosystem that has been flipped on its head mm-hmm. that started with COVID. When, when was that, 19, 20? 20. 20. Yeah, tail end of 19. Yeah, so 19 slash 20 all the way through to, to now. And then even locally, federal election, mm-hmm. and the time that this podcast comes out the election has happened mm-hmm. and there has been a result and we'll talk about that in the next podcast i guess so i've just given it away we're actually doing this five days beforehand that's it before the thing secrets out um but today really vic is all about interest rates it's all about the new the new environment that we are going into mm-hmm. and it is the question on everybody's mind is what will the market do what should i do uh, and that's being propelled without any shadow of a doubt by the media and the narrative that's coming via them. Um, and it's quite, I find it fascinating to see, depending on who the media supplier is or who the plat- what the platform is, really does have a difference in what the message yeah, yeah. is. And, and, and you find that, and this is something that we've said uh, all along, is that uh, with the news cycle and with journalism, if it bleeds, it leads. In other words, if uh, the topic is more doom and gloom, 
it's likely to get a great attraction as opposed to the feel-good stories in that sense, right? So um, when you're talking about property, particularly with the way the economists are, uh, are making their predictions, um, now more than ever the naysayers of, hang on, there'll be a 40% dip in property prices and all that, they're coming out in the in the dozens uh, at the moment. And, and this is something that uh, with us investing through many decades, uh, we have seen this time and time again as cycles change. Uh, you have one side of the coin, whether it is it's going to drop by 40% or the other side, it's going to go up by 40%. So jump in now. Uh, and, and this is where I guess we need to talk about should we wait it out or should we take assertive action or should we take any action at all? Yeah, sometimes sitting on your hands and doing nothing is the best thing to do. But we'll we'll dissect each of those questions i get mm. i guess as as the the podcast goes on but what what amazes me with journalism is that there's never a there's never a just a, a norm, normal no. piece i guess it's it lurches from it's going to be a it's a boom or it's a bust there's never just normalness mm. because i guess it's not doesn't sell newspapers it doesn't yep. sell advertising space so there has to be a, a slant to it the thing you just mentioned something there about some of the media saying well you know it's going to be a 40% drop uh, in the value of the asset. Now, to be fair, there probably will be mm. those small uh, items, those small properties, individual properties, which may have a 40% reduction from the original sale price or the last sale price to the next one. Yeah. And the reason I say that is because it was probably oversold to begin with. And we've seen this through the multiple cycles. But what will happen is the journalists, or the media, I should say, will jump on those those small random examples and use that as a general consensus of the whole market. Mm. And because there will be. Without fail, there will be big there'll be properties that have a massive price discrepancy over the next 12 to 18 months. Yeah, absolutely. And it depends on, on uh, what data they hang their hat on, right? Yeah, whether, whether it is uh, the actual price drop, whether it is the site visits or whether it is the, the um, turnover rate in that in that area. So that's what determines um, if, they, if they latch their, their head on, uh, hand on, um, uh, say, the number of visits. And let's say it's down by 40%, right? Uh, all of a sudden, property is down by forty percent. That's just the headline. So we need to read the whole article uh, in its in its entirety, and correlate it to how it um, matches into the bigger set of data, which is the national data, or, or if you bring it down, suburb, state-wise, uh, and so forth, uh, because that'll determine uh, whether uh, you know you run scared like chicken little. Or whether you actually uh, look past all of that and say, "Hang on, what's the bigger picture here?" It's a good point because when you, when we look at the the history, and we fortunately or unfortunately because of our age, have You're seen for yourself. Are you? I'm the youngest in the room. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, there's been yeah, we've been fortunate enough to go through multiple multiple cycles, and mm-hmm. that's from a national level and even a more localized level, yeah. and and that's a point too, nationally and localized. Um, different trigger points, same narrative mm-hmm. from time to time, uh, but also somewhat same results. Yeah. But those time frames between the results are becoming shorter and shorter and shorter. And we've talked about that on oh, probably a dozen different podcasts, mm-hmm. Facebook Lives, where technology has definitely reshaped uh, the, the, tro- the peak to trough periods of time. Mm-hmm. And perhaps today we'll collectively bring it all together, I guess, 
uh, because now it, the rubber hits the road. Yes. Um, all of those components that we've been talking about for many, many years now are starting to come together, mm. both in a negative and a positive um, scenario. But just coming back to the technology piece, just think how long ago it was that the, the say, units in – I'll just take parts of Sydney, and we've mentioned this before, but I'll do it again – parts of Sydney where you couldn't give them away mm-hmm. from a rentable perspective and you couldn't sell them because the commercial – um, the commercial filter that's tied to residential real estate, you couldn't give them away. We're talking 18 months yeah. ago. Fast forward to today, you can't get one. You mm. can't rent one because there is none available. And as we've mentioned before, people are offering $100, $150 a week above above the, the asking price for the rent on the inspection and prepaying six to 12 months in advance just to secure the property. Now, that's the accommodation crisis that we've had. But my point is in the mere 18 months... Things have flipped. It's just turned on its head. On its head. If we go back in history, though, and go back to the early 2000s, that would have taken a long time yep. to do that full revolution, I guess, from uh, being an oversupplied scenario to a to an undersupplied mm-hmm. scenario. But thanks to technology and obviously the environment that we're in with COVID and how quickly that happened and potentially how quick we've got over it, some would say, um, that the effects of that have been instant both in the beginning and mm. at the end, then throw a Ukraine war in and all the dynamics that that has and the flow on effect. And we are where we are today, which is interest rates. That's it. That's what everyone wants to know mm-hmm. about. What, if, what are the interest rates going to do to my home value or my property's value? Should I be buying now? Should I be waiting? Should I be trying to time the market? Mm-hmm. Um, so on. So let's get into that because it is the trillion dollar question that everybody Literally. wants to and the answer is depends. Depends. Yeah. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back next four nights. Yeah. <laughs> um, but es- but essentially, everybody does have their own unique circumstances. Like that's the truth, and we always talk about it. As everybody does. Uh, but those investors that, and I'll I'll phrase them up as sophisticated. So maybe it's sophisticated in the way they think, or the way they act, or the way that they invest. Mm-hmm. I believe they're in a very, very unique but good position to control the asset moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. Now, that doesn't mean across the country because the markets now will get back to potentially some shape of normality in Mm -hmm. terms of their growth patterns. So rather than the vertical growth that we've all experienced collectively across the country, where usually that doesn't happen, usually one's going up, one's going sideways, one might be giving a bit back as we've talked about before. But potentially we're coming back to a more normalised period, except with the filter that we have an accommodation crisis like we have never seen before. Mm. Never. And I know people want to compare it to the to the GFC and, and some of those same metrics around, mm. say, rental increases. But I can tell you from experience, and I'm sure you'll agree with this, and we've been doing this now 22 years, 23 years or thereabouts, mm-hmm. I've never seen the characteristics of a market in terms of accommodation that we have today. No, no, it, never. It is next level, and it's going to get worse still uh, because you've got uh, you know different facets coming in together. Like you said, it's it's the perfect storm building up, um, and, and depending on how uh, watertight your ship is, it will determine whether you'll be able to weather this storm. So uh, you've got the interest rate obviously going up. 
and it is in a in a upward cycle now. So we'll have a couple of interest rate rises. You've got the accommodation crisis where um, the act of building a property is taking twice as long and perhaps 30% more, uh, if not more, uh, in terms of the cost. Uh, then you'll have the tightening of credit because the banks will say, okay, I'm not sure where the market's heading right now. So I'm going to dial back my loan-to-value ratio. I'm going to take a closer, harder look at how I qualify you for the loan. Um, whilst I still want the business, I want safe business, uh, just in case the market takes. It's all about risk. Yeah, that's all about risk. And on top of all of that, you've got the migration factor coming in now, right? So the, 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 the borders are now open. Uh, the expats are coming back in, 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 in droves. Uh, you've also got your migrants now starting to uh, filter back in, uh, and certainly the uh, student population and the hospitality uh, population are starting to come back in as as Australia gets back into normality or some level of normality, right? We're still, still not quite out of it yet. But when you put all of these things together, it's the perfect mix when you throw in information, the ease of transfer of information, it's the perfect mix for a, again, a, a runaway market, but not the runaway market we saw in 2020, 21 but a runaway market in terms of getting your foundations in place, being able to uh, get onto the baseline as an upswing um, on, on one caveat. Now, we talked about interest rate. We're talking about uh, you know whether we should hold off or not. Um, it's not whether the bank tells uh, says to you, yes, you can borrow a million dollars. I think it now drills back to your household. Can you afford a million dollars based on your circumstances as to what's going to happen in your life right now, work-wise, relationship-wise, debt-wise, and, and what's going to happen in 18 months, two years. What you're finding is that the interest rates with their higher um, uh, dollar value doesn't last that long anymore. It's no longer that seven or 10-year cycles of interest rates. It's much shorter, like everything. And that's the point. And you actually stole my thunder again. It, um, <laughs> because that's one of the points I was going to mm. make. Like, be, once, those, once these bottlenecks of supply open up, whether that be tomorrow, next week, next year, two years' time, we'll start to see potentially those rates come down as an effect, as an after effect, mm. along with other components, uh, clearly. Um, so the, the rate cycle, if you will, will be very, very different than what it has been over the last decade or, or two decades, yep. those longer lengths, yeah? Now, am I saying that rates are not going to continue to go up? No, I'm not saying that because they will. Mm. How far? Nobody knows uh, because the government and the, and the bankers and the powers to be have a juggling act. Um, as we've mentioned before, they're in a real checkmate position at the moment. And, mm. yeah, I'd, I'd love to see the conversations in the back rooms and the arguments that happen, you know, should we, how far, how fast, et cetera, that goes along the rates and the economy. Um, so those that rate cycle will be very different than what we've experienced over the last decade or so. But you mentioned uh, the construction costs, and this is something that we've talked about, I'm going to call it for probably half of last year, mm -hmm. even before that, but all the different, uh, the different components, where we did mention that there was an undersupply of accommodation we, we started talking about that in 2017, 18, yep. saying watch the pipeline because it's going to happen. And we, we were laughed at physically mm -hmm. by a lot of people, journalists, in fact. Um, I was nearly said their name, but I won't. Um, but you know who you are. Uh, in, in combination with 
the lockdown borders, what happens when they open? With construction costs, what happens um, when the interest rates start to go? Because that was just an obvious thing. Somewhere in the future, the rates were yep. going to go up, especially when you print money at the speed of which the worldwide economies were doing. Um, what's going to happen in terms of the lending uh, cycle? Mm-hmm. When we get to that inflection point, hashtag right now, mm-hmm. uh, what are the what is going to be the accommodation piece? But I wanted to make a, a couple of points around the construction costs. We all know that... It's up. It's up. Trying to get a tradie, you can't. Um, and good on your tradies. Charge whatever you need to. Uh, you can't get materials. You can't get a timeline. You can't get a... Well, it's very hard to get a fixed price contract mm-hmm. now. So there was an article that came out the other day um, from the Master Builders Association, I think it was, of New South Wales, where they put down some building components and what they've done in the last 12 months in terms of the, cre- in the increases. So just to name a few, reinforcing steel. These are all building components too to yep. the listener. Uh, reinforcing steel up 43.5%. Steel beams, 40%. Structural timbers, 40%. Um, plastic pipes and fittings, 30%. Electrical cable and conduits, 30%. Uh, terracotta tiles, 21%. Metal roofing, 20%. Insulation, 14%, and the list goes on and on and on, right? So they, that's in the last 12 months. Mm-hmm. But underneath that, and I'll put that, uh, we'll put that article up on the on the socials yep. uh, in the next couple of days. But what was interesting is after that article, a gazillion trades have commented on it and said, we don't know where you're getting your numbers from, but in a lot of those cases, try, try doubling it yeah. in terms of the, the price uh, increases to these components, right? Now, that's... A Obviously, stating the obvious, that's a flow on through to the construction costs. The Master Builders Association said, well, maybe builders, it's time for you to start doing uh, building contracts as cost cost plus. So what that means is cost of materials plus a margin through to the consumer. But as all the builders have said, it's a great concept, but it won't work because the banks won't fund Hmm. that. Because there's no surety in how much they're lending, isn't it? Correct. So checkmate. 37, mm-hmm. like in terms of the construction industry. And that's why we are starting to see a lot of insolvency within the the building industry. And we mentioned that over 12, 18 months ago, mm-hmm. saying, unfortunately, this is going to be a real thing. But as a major component to get of building, to provide the accommodation, in combination with the end of the lending finance uh, ecosystem or environment, so we're coming to the tail end of that, i.e. lending is going to be harder to get due to rates, uh, the metrics, mm. LVR positions, etc. With borders opening, with an al- al- already an undersupplied scenario, where does it leave rents? Up. Now, I'm being very general. Only way. I'm being very, very general. Most areas mm-hmm. will be up. Worst case, some areas will be static level. Mm-hmm. Yep. So as an investor, and cash flow is king, that's our major revenue stream being the rent, and rates are going up. I did the numbers as a side point on a client's property the other day about that. And the rent has gone up $130 a week over the last uh, 14 months, I think it is. With the increased interest rate, and we doubled it just for the very short term, Mm -hmm. he's still in a better position than what he was pre-COVID. Yeah. With the higher interest rates and the lower lower rent. Now, I'm not saying that everybody's going to be in that same boat, but in his particular position... I guess it was comforting because he knows that the position hasn't changed as to where he was happy. The dollar figure may have changed. <coughs> the dollar figure's changed, but um, 
the repayments have clearly changed, uh, but the rent has gone up. Now, if you extrapolate that over two properties, several properties, 100 properties, obviously the position gets a little bit more complicated and it's a little potentially a little bit more real because we're t- playing with bigger numbers mm-hmm. now. But if we drill it down to it further, the locality of the property will dictate the stress to the owner. Absolutely. And that's a key point. Mm. So there are some areas throughout the country, predominantly maybe parts of Sydney, uh, maybe parts of Melbourne, on, especially on that um, higher end of the mortgage belts, mm-hmm. perhaps as a way to put it, um, where there could be a little, I'm not going to say struggle, yeah, and I'm being general because obviously some people will, uh, but there'll be a paper loss which could, and what I mean by that is the value of the property might be different than what they purchased it was at, say, Christmas. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that wealth effect piece subconsciously could, if you let it, play havoc to the general yeah. sort of public. Mm. There'll be other people, and this is where I go back to the sophisticated uh, thinkers, they'll say, well, it's a paper trade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we know that it's cyclical. We know that time in the market is very, very important, and we know that over time we'll be in a much wealthier position on paper. It's really about the now. Can I afford it? How can I enhance my position? Should I sell? Should I keep? Should I buy? Mm-hmm. And these are the, the questions that we get on a daily basis. On a daily yeah. basis. Yeah. So if, if we look at um, uh, you know a couple of points that you made, right? So uh, you mentioned that uh, finance will get harder. And so it sort of seems like uh, counterintuitive because obviously with um, with the way the market is, you assume that the bank's really keen to lend money because uh, property's at a premium at the moment. But it's, it's um, not necessarily the changes in within the lending criteria itself, it's the assessment rate. So as your interest rate goes up, your assessment rate goes up as well. So where previously you are able to qualify for a million dollars as an example, you, with the current interest rate increase, you may only qualify for 950 or 900. Nothing else has changed. Right. So then, when you look at uh, your uh, portfolio of today, it is really paramount that we keep abreast of the market and ethically raise our rents, because what what it does allow for is the spread to remain the same. So your interest rates have gone up, your rents after a little while have caught up, and therefore the the even though you're paying a higher interest rate. Um, the amount of money that you need to chip in from your own pocket remains relatively the same. Uh, and and further to that, if you look at it from a viewpoint of uh, being proactive with your loans, your mortgages, which is the biggest cost in home ownership and investing, you need to look at it from a viewpoint of, okay, how can I minimize the interest payable? Does it mean that you need to refinance? Does it mean that you need to restructure your debt? Um can we revert from a principal and interest to interest only? Because one of the big waves of uh, perhaps perhaps a hurt that is coming on is people going off their fixed rates. They are on fixed rates on interest only, uh, especially when talking about investors. And they're reverting to your standard variable rate. Now, heads up, standard variable rate, unless you actually talk to the bank, automatically reverts to 4% plus principal and interest. Okay. So you don't get your normal 3% as a, as a normal. You need to actually have that conversation with the bank in most cases. So it's reverting from, say, as an example, um, you know, 
uh, interest only to all of a sudden 4.5 principal and interest. Not only have you doubled your interest rate, you've now thrown in a principal repayment component into that as well. And along with that, with a few more interest rates, uh, rate rises uh, coming along, that'll certainly put pressure on the household budget. And when that happens, uh, throw in all of the media headlines about property dropping by 40% or um, you know, a doom, and, uh, doom in a property bust coming our way, uh, that's certainly going to play with people's um, uh, thought process in terms of whether do I keep, do I add more to the portfolio, do I hold, um, or what do I do? Uh, and this is where for the unprepared, that's where they make the mistakes of perhaps offloading too early or equally importantly, offloading too late. It's a good point because if we, if we take the offloading too early scenario, go back to the GFC. Now, mm-hmm. the point I'm about to make is, is also relevant to today. And if I go back to the GFC, those that were under duress and had to sell their property was for cash flow reasons. Was because of a lack of cash flow management, mm-hmm. right, we'll call it. Right? Not so much cash flow from the property, but cash flow management, so from all facets of the household budget. Those, so they had to sell, or a good portion of people that had to sell because they're under duress. Have they had the, the announced, the education, whatever it may be, the support to be able to restructure their household budgets and control the cash flow and therefore keep the property? You fast forward to today and they're triple, mm-hmm. probably more, quadruple in a lot of areas than what it was back then. Did we lose value off the asset? Yeah. Potentially we did in some cases. Some cases it just changed the style of investing and we actually did very, very well during the midst of the GFC. And I actually bracket, so I think that'll be the case this time as well. Um, if you bring that forward to today's scenario that we have, different trigger points potentially same environment or same results somewhat. Different price points. Yeah, different price points. That they're the components that were in the GFC that weren't, or the trigger points of the GFC are vastly different from what we have today. We didn't have lock borders mm-hmm. back then, so we had no immigration problems. Um, rates were a lot higher than what they are today. We didn't have wage growth back then, which is another massive point which people seem to be forgetting about in today's scenario where there is wage growth. In unemployment is the lowest it's been forever, just about. Um, we have all these positive components that everybody seems to forget to yep. talk about as yep. opposed to what was in the midst of the GFC. And I mentioned one of them, wage growth. Mm-hmm. Huge. Like unemployment is so low now that if you want a job, there is one there for you. Don't crucify me on that, like obviously within within reason, yeah? But you can't get anything from someone making a coffee through to a an accountant mm-hmm. or an IT professional and everything in between. You can't find the labour to do the job. Now, some might argue that, well, once the borders really do open and we get that um, mass immigration potentially, well, that will cool the labour market down so- somewhat potentially, but we have a worldwide... This isn't Australia and its insular little island. This is a worldwide um, scenario where the labour force is very, very low in the developed countries across the world. Um, So 
not only do we have our rents increasing, the individual's wages are rising and the finance ecosystem will be short or the interest rate environment will be shorter than what it has been in the years that have gone past. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned about the the serviceability metrics in the background, whether that be via an LVR position. Obviously, the rates are up, so that eradicates serviceability somewhat. Um, And all the other little components in the back end of when you try to get a loan, which there are many. And we've said this quite a few times before. If you are in a position and your household budget is healthy, then while the bank is willing to give you money, and you know that you can afford it, that being the key point, then you should consider. Mm-hmm. But spend wisely. So that yep. doesn't mean an unproductive debt. It doesn't mean the Bentleys. It doesn't mean... <laughs> Hang on. You are the person that just bought a big car. Yeah, but I've got to tow big people. <laughs> it's, um, it's, uh, so that unproductive debt, mm-hmm. that's, that's the, the key point. Also, as something else comes to my head, we're, we're further ahead of our mortgages than we ever have been. Absolutely. Credit card debt is at its lowest since the 70s. Mm. Um, and that's pretty significant. To me, that's actually one of the metrics to keep an eye on. Mm. Right? That'll show how much hurt there is to the consumer. If we start to see credit card debt just grow exponentially, then you know that the there, individual, is, stress. there is stress within there. Um, That'll take probably six to 12 months to see those mm. figures. But let's also not forget that retail spending is almost at record levels as well. Yep. So there's still the com- confidence within, the, within society, I guess. Mm. Once again, job equals security. People have jobs. People are secure. It's the paper trade value of the asset mm-hmm. that will be the big factor into what the broader community does or the broader yeah. the broader economy yeah so one one of the things that uh, we are blessed with is being able to talk to people of all walks of life as part of our role uh, and um, we are equally blessed to talk with people who have bigger portfolios than us and and have also been investing for longer than us and um, one of the questions we always ask is what would you have done differently yeah uh, if you had your time all over again every single person keeps saying wish I had gone harder in the early days and also wish I had gone harder when everyone else was taking a step back because it's it's uh, um, the fundamentals don't change and property is all about holding the right assets over time and uh, sometimes you need to know which ones to rationalize in other words sell down to then replace that income stream whether it's done its job or whether it's starting to become a problem property or whether it's simply you're able to uh, sell that down, free up more capital and borrowing power and go into multiples yet again. Uh, now, multiples does not mean multiple properties. It may mean multiple rental income streams as such. So this, all of these um, drills back to if you look at uh, and rely on the experience of uh, people that have been around much longer, they all say, forget the cycles, invest for the medium to longer term. So you're not talking 18-month trenches or two-year trenches. You're not trying to re-emulate the 2020 and 2021 market and try and get that sort of growth. Not going to happen. That's, that's once in a lifetime. Yeah. And, and uh, we're looking at it more from a cyclical point of view to say, okay, I want to hold the property for at least two, three cycles to get the best uh, value out of it. 
understanding that the cycles are now actually compressing. Correct. I want to question you on something, not challenge, question you on something though. So the, the growth period that we've had is, as you, you, know, you put, once in a lifetime, mm-hmm. right? I guess for new investors, it is, it is a once in a lifetime, but we've yeah. seen we've that. Seen we've, we've seen, that. We've that. seen yeah. that before, yeah. I guess. So I just, yeah. uh, I just really answered or clarified the statement. Mm-hmm. Um, there was super terrific growth after the GFC. Yeah. Every time there's a big crisis, there's huge growth. There's, there's, there's a catch-up. Correct. Uh, prior to the, the GFC, so it was around 2000, 2003. The recession sort of we had to have. Yeah, and I've and I've you know said before, back in 2001, I think it was, or 2002, I had properties double in 12 mm-hmm. months. Yeah. If you, even if you go as far back as the Great Depression, right? Uh, immediately after that, it went ballistic, mm. right? Because it, it is a catch-up effect and uh, newfound energy, newfound uh, uh, confidence in the market gets people in droves into the market and supply and demand comes in. Kicks in. And we already have a supply and demand issue, as we've mentioned, which is a huge part of it, which is the accommodation piece, mm. yeah? Um, we've got the government incentives federally, uh, both from uh, the Liberal Party the coalition and the Labor Party saying this is what we'll do to encourage home ownership with mm-hmm. their own sort of incentives. Um, that will somewhat underpin the the market as well, as well as the rent, because if the banks are willing to give people because people have got a job and they're secure in it and the government is also chipping in, yeah. So they're, they're going to they're going to do it. Absolutely. But the big one of the big pieces that nobody seems to be talking about, and this and you know, I might be wrong here, but I don't think I am is foreign investment mm-hmm. right now obviously oh i don't know how many years back call it four five years or, or there ago um the foreign investment review board said we're basically shutting the doors we're going to impose this is from a state and federal level we're going to impose a raft of taxes to make it harder to invest in property yeah it, within within the country so it's It'll be really interesting to see if those laws start to, or those tax laws start to retract mm-hmm. somewhat because the country and the both governments have come out and said this, we need investment into the country like we've never had before. Yep. We need immigration into the country like we've never had before, so post-World War Two sort of times. And it's all these little things that add up into a greater mm-hmm. picture. So suddenly if you start to get big foreign investment back into the country and the the governments loosen the laws and therefore create the ability for foreign investment to come back into the country, that's a huge piece that underpins the, the economy. And if you flow all the way back through, it underpins or goes towards another component of underpinning mm-hmm. residential real estate. Yeah. You, you see that with immigration, right? Before COVID, we were uh, attractive to... Um, people that are migrating here. So it was a good country to be in, good systems, a good health system in itself. When you've got COVID and the way we handle COVID, it's made us super attractive uh, to to the immigrant. So we will see a big um, brain drain coming our way uh, in terms of people of high caliber migrating here, which will then create more jobs, more investments and so forth, right? But when you look at it from a viewpoint of, okay, what really adds value to the property sector? One would say that it, it's um, uh, investment, but I would beg to differ. It's actually the own occupiers. 
because that's your larger component, right? So um, we as Australians have got per capita the highest amount of home ownership, and it's going to uh, you know it's not going to change anytime soon. So it'll basically add more to the value of of this sector, particularly after COVID, where everyone wants their own piece of dirt uh, and uh, home ownership with the government incentives and the plans that they've put together, both state and federal, uh, that's certainly going to put uh, things on the map. So we're not going to see a slowdown in the sector when you look at it from um, your medium to longer term trenches. Yes, there may be harder, it may be harder to actually get into uh, property ownership, whether it is as an owner-occupier or an investor, um, given the ability to get finance, not necessarily from the bank willing to give you the, the loan, but more, more so because of the affordability, because of the assessment rates as the interest rates change. So it'll almost be like Groundhog Day to somewhat really in regards to the intent mm-hmm. will be there, but the ability in terms of finance yep. may be reduced. That's right. Now that goes back to the APRA handbrake days of 15, 16, 17 or thereabouts where the intent was there, mm-hmm. but the ability to borrow wasn't. And I believe that it'll be somewhat the same going into this cycle, which will only enhance the accommodation crisis piece, which on the back end or the on the back end of the uh, the rate cycle and on the beginning of the upward swing will create potentially the same dynamic as what we've seen at the end of the other crises throughout Mm. Our time. Yeah. yeah. So once again, 2000, 2000 2003, during, Eight. yep, during and at the end of the GFC, uh, at the end of the APRA handbrake letdown mm-hmm. and the growth that we've had because of COVID. And this could very much be history repeating itself. The major difference, and I kind of am repeating myself, but I'm, I, th- I believe it's so important that we are going into this environment in a far stronger position than we ever have yep. as investors. Mm-hmm. Like we just are there. You can't argue that fact. It's, it's impossible. Yeah. So as an investor, given that the market's changing from an interest rate point of view, should we hold and stay out of the market or should we jump in feet first or what should we do? I think we answered that and I don't know why we're still talking. Depends. <laughs> <laughs> are we still recording? It's, um, look, I think there are some people that should hold mm-hmm. without fail. Yep. Uh, I think some people should sit on their hands and do nothing. Mm. So w- who would this, those people be? I think people that are, that are already at the end of their affordability matrix. Yeah. And this is where I believe the sophisticated person steps up because they will know. Mm. And how will they know? Because they're all around their household budget. They know where they are. Forget what the banks say. They know where they are. Or they might have major changes in their life. Mm -hmm. About to have triplets. Or plan on starting a family. Plan on changing jobs. Whatever it may be. With those major changes within their own unique situation, well then, why push it? Yeah. Do you control the position that you're in at the moment? There's always another time to re, 
to re-enter. The people that I believe that should continue are those that know what they're trying to achieve. They know their own capacities, relevant from what the bank says. They know opportunity when they see it and they go against the media grain. Yeah, yeah. I believe those people should. Now, we're, we're the beneficiary of time in the market, mm-hmm. you and I. We're the beneficiary of experience. And because we kind of know the outcomes, we know the, the ride, I guess, throughout these different scenarios and crises, whatever you want to call it, we're both buying. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I'm, yeah. I'm now just caveat to that. I'm not saying that or trying to sound like those property guys. We're, we're not. We're just being brutally honest mm. what we're trying to do. The only thing I'm not doing, even though I want to, is constructing because I can't get a... <laughs> nearly swore. <laughs> I can't get a, can't get a builder. Yep. It, um, and then the people that should sell are the people that know they're on mm. the edge. Yeah. Now, with constructing, uh, I am constructing at the moment and, and that's because, not because of um, uh, choice, well, a little bit of choice, but more so because... I'm going to, my DA will lapse. Or it actually may, in some of the uh, properties that I'm constructing on, it just makes absolute sense to construct at the moment. Um, But you need to have a long, hard look at whether you postpone your construction, go back into acquisition again, uh, money pending, um, in terms of um, building up the foundations again, and then come back to the construction phase, uh, in other words, your consolidation phase, uh, once uh, the builders are and the supply of building material is a lot easier uh, and that may uh, translate to say perhaps two three years down the track and and when you really look at it let's say you accumulated today and this is not me just saying so you've got to buy a property it needs to be individual basis and and caveat on um, you know what is going on with the rest of uh, the uh, factors that influence holding a property in your life so if, if you accumulated today and you uh, spent the money to get your DAs and all that through if, if that's, the, that's the plan that you've got, 18 months, 24 months, 36 months down the track, you could actually start your construction and by the time finance most likely will start to loosen up again, right? So it's, it's a matter of planning it ahead and matching it to your financial fingerprint. That is something we do uh, with our blueprints and with the reviews that we do with our portfolios for our clients. Uh, and, and there are many clients that you and I have both uh, said, chill, sit on your hands, do not do anything. Uh, and there are others where we said, you've got to offload one or two to free up uh, some capacity um, or um, you know, uh, show up the uh, kitty in the sense so that uh, you can go through this phase because there are changes happening with the business, uh, their employment type or their life. And there are others where we've turned around and said, we need to be more aggressive now uh, because of two really simple things, opportunistic today, and you're actually running out of time because there is an end point to this investing because we have a finite um, borrowing um, uh, and, and cyclical holding of properties, which is age-related. Correct. It's a good point. And it's, if you even sort of expand on on who should and, and who shouldn't in and around finance, we, we've, we've made the point that finance is going to become harder Mm -hmm. however as a side point there are thanks to COVID or not thanks to COVID but a large part of um, the silver lining of of COVID somewhat is that there is 
if, even if you look at our team, more women in the wor- workforce because of flexibility, yep. uh, the ability to work from a blended environment or work from home, which adds to the household budget, mm-hmm. once again, therefore potentially serviceability as, as time goes on as well. Um, the lending, whilst I think it's going to become harder, I don't think it's going to be uh, around the same result as what APRA did. Nowhere near. I, I just, I can't see that happening and, you know, maybe it will, but I just can't see it happening because there's a bigger picture once again around the accommodation, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. Um, people tend to forget just how big the industry is. It's not just about the property. It's about the total down the line industry that supports it mm-hmm. during the construction, but after ownership. To state the obvious, clearly the builders, the white goods, the transport, the manufacturing, Etc. Cetera, et cetera. It all adds up, and as we mentioned on a podcast or a Facebook Live years or not years ago, a couple of months ago, where if you go back to the fifties, forties, forties, fifties, sixties, and Australia rode on the back of sheep, mm-hmm. you know, it was the wool industry. Today, it rides on the roof and tin tiles of residential real estate. Absolutely, because it, it is so deep in terms of the economy. Everybody knows that. The government knows that, and they don't want to kill it. If they wanted to kill it, they wouldn't give the incentive in terms of ownership yeah. in and around um, you know, the, the first-time owner schemes and you know, from a federal level but even from a state level. Mm-hmm. Like people understand. Interestingly, though, just changing tact a little bit around listings and the ebbs and flows of consumer confidence, it's ama- it amazes me how people are so reactive. Mm. I'll jump on the property bandwagon once I've seen everybody else's results because they want tangibility isn't it correct um or well geez rates are going to go up but i'm going i'm going to wait till they go up before i put my property on the market Mm -hmm. like there's never that common sense sweet spot yeah collectively speaking and the reason i say that is total property listings are up Mm. yeah the the knee-jerk reaction to the first interest rate rise pretty much straight away pretty much straight away um collectively over the whole of the for the month or for April, let's call it. Yeah, um, it's up four point eight. And April percent. is traditionally a slow month because you've got Easter, you've got school holidays, yeah, like yep. three, four long weekends in a mm. row, depending on where you are. Um, you got Sydney up five at five point eight. Um, you've got Adelaide up four point three, Canberra two point seven, Hobart seventeen point seven. Mm-hmm. Um, but it all ac- equals out at four point eight. However, the yearly change is still negative 12.8. Yeah. Right? So Let's not get caught up in the numbers that way, isn't it? Yeah. And look, markets are around liquidity. Mm. And when we talk about liquid markets, it's, it's what the volume is, what the turnover is. So you, know, you could also drill down into that today's on market. Now, yes, there'll be traditionally more properties on the market. Let's talk about Brisbane as an example, where you can't rent a property mm. as an example. But there is more stock on market. Now, that will be a collective approach from sellers taking the top of the market, which even you could put that across all states, saying, well, yeah, I'll put my property on the market now, it's done well, I'll take the money and run, um, which will be absorbed by investors and homeowners who are getting the incentives because, once again, there's nothing to rent. So will we, when you look at it from that approach, will we see a softening of the market? No, generally what we'll see is a softening of the rate of growth. Correct. Big difference. Huge difference. Now, those investors that have 
that are used to and are reliant upon double-digit yearly annual growth over the last couple of years, you're in for a big surprise. Mm. That's not normality at all. You are just very lucky to be at a point in time to be the recipient of that. But it's not normal. And nor do you want it to be normal. You want a more lineal approach, dare I say it, even though that's not possible, than the big peaks and troughs. Yep. Because that wreaks havoc with mindset, confidence, and then the flow on uh, throughout the whole economy once you get the collective, mm-hmm. I guess, is the way to do it. So a huge difference between negative growth versus softening growth. Yeah. And we need to, we need to uh, divorce ourselves from those headlines that are talking about negative growth. It is negative growth when you compare it to last year, but it's actually uh, you know, back to normalcy. It's still not normal. It's still bigger growth than normal right now. In some places, yeah. absolutely. In some places, though, that, to be fair, though, there has been a drop. Mm. Yeah, there are some parts of, um, say, the, the northern beaches of Sydney yep. where a couple of properties we were looking at have dropped a million dollars mm. off their asking price in the space of, let's call it four, three to four weeks. Yeah. Now, clarification around that because I can see it being a headline in the, you know, you can see it, yeah. like, well, the news idea, property's dropped a million dollars on its asking price, you know, mm-hmm. overnight. The fact is, in that particular case, then the property was advertised for $6.2 million and it's now down to 5.2. It wasn't worth 6.2. It was never worth 6.2. It was the vendor saying, you know what, the market is crazy, let's have a crack. Mm. If I get it, happy days, but we kind of know where it is. A couple of points to that. One, the agent doesn't like to waste time, Mm. but when they don't know what the market is in a frenzy, they can be a little bit advantageous and put it at a higher price, but the market will always speak. Yeah, and particularly in those sort of markets, if it's on the market for too long, it loses its flavour yeah. very quickly. Correct. Um, whereas, conversely, you could go up to the sunny coast of Brisbane or even parts of the Gold Coast, almost the same price bracket, you know, relatively speaking, still super buoyant. Mm. Mm. Right? It's different parts of the market are reacting quite differently. That will be dependent upon maybe the debt-to-income ratios, uh, also the rate of growth that's been experienced over the last one to three years as well, because people aren't silly. They know when a market's cooked. And um, once again, the debt-to-income ratio, which is huge. Potentially, that's why places like Perth will do very well, because they've got the best affordability out of the entire country. Jobs are obviously a very important scenario. Jobs are very good over there. They can't even find workers. Mm-hmm. Um, and every every particular state's got their own metrics. Um, they've got their own buoyancy or liquidity within the market. And if you can drill down even further, not just from a state to a city to a suburb to a precinct to a region, everything is different. So be very careful when you're reading the media or trying to do your own diligence around general statements. You need to get granular to find out whether it's right for you. Yep, yep. We're almost out of time, Steve. We are? Yeah. So what's the, be- so what's the answer? I've given my answers, Vic. Should people keep, sell, or continue? Depends. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, if um, you've listened to this and um, you're thinking, geez, I re- still don't know what to do in my circumstances, reach out to us, um, questions at rightpropertygroup.com.au or you can go to our website uh, and uh, click on contact us. 
there's a um, contact form that you need to uh, fill out. Uh, you will initially be talking with uh, Melissa. Melissa is a um, very uh, successful property investor uh, who has got a fairly large property portfolio. So she will uh, then prepare you for a meeting with either myself or Steve so that you can get the best of our time and we can then use our years of experience to guide you as to what to do next. So it doesn't matter whether you've got um, you know, a couple of properties under your belt or you're just thinking of starting out and thinking, okay, should I or shouldn't I? reach out to us and uh, we can certainly guide you. Yeah, once again, Mel's very experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, she's been around a long time. She's been investing a long time. And so she's also seen the different Multiple cycles, cycles as yeah. well. Uh, and she will she'll tell, it, tell you how it is mm-hmm. um, you know, from her opinion. And to reiterate what Vic said, uh, then if you want, you'll then get to sit down in front of myself or Vic. But do yourself a favour uh, when you speak to Mel, make sure that you've got the correct information. Don't embellish your your situation uh, one way or another. Be absolutely truthful so that when eventually you do uh, get to speak to myself or Vic, we can give you an opinion based on fact around your scenario as opposed to something being a little wishy-washy um, where everybody walks away from it and saying, well, what was that about? Mm-hmm. So truth is good. And now we'll see you in the next it fortnight. Is. It is. So we've got, um, once again, if you want to get in contact with us, we've got the contact forms or you can get via the socials. We have our fortnightly Facebook live sessions uh, where a little bit like our podcasts, we get a subject as we walk in the door and we, we chew the fat. We chew the fat. It's almost like a fireside chat. Maybe we should do that. Mm-hmm. In fact, we were speaking with, um, who was it? With uh, Phil and... We think that'll be a really good recorded version, to mm-hmm. see, you know, especially now that we're in winter. That's right. A lot of fireplace, I reckon a bonfire. Get the cameras up. You can get your scotch <laughs> out and we'll just chew the fat. But um, on a serious note, once again, uh, thank you for listening. It means a lot to us if you could give us a review too. There's a lot of people in behind the scenes uh, that put this together and it means uh, a hell of a lot to both myself and Vic. So until then, next fortnight, Vic. Goodbye. We'll see you then. The information featured in this podcast is general in nature, does not take into consideration your financial situation or individual needs and should not be relied upon. Before making any investment, insurance, tax, property or financial planning decision, you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision is appropriate for you.